morning. It's uh, 18 minutes to nine. This is Money Talk with James Ross. In your money today, Carolyn Wright will dive into the Defy decentralised finance space, looking at levels of interest in the sector and how lending in it works. Uh, good morning, Carolyn. Good morning. In your money today, we're going to take a deep dive into decentralised finance and lending in the space. It's a topic that many of you may have heard about, but not all of us fully understand what it is and how it works. But I'm joined now by a man who does. He's Jacob Crombickler, the co-founder and CCO of Clearpool. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you, Caroline, for having me. So let's start at the beginning. Just tell us what exactly do we mean by DeFi? DeFi is short for decentralized finance. And basically, it's a financial system that is built on the blockchain technology. And instead of the traditional financial system that works with banks and other financial intermediaries, such as insurance companies, this actually works on smart contracts, or you could say code. So there is rules that are basically coded. So if this happens, then this happens on the smart contract. And this govern this uh, decentralized financial applications. I can give you an example for like lending, for example. You know, usually these lending protocols they're based on over collateralization. So you need to post, let's say, twice the Bitcoin in order to get fifty percent in Ethereum. So you need to post a hundred in Bitcoin, and then you get a loan of fifty US dollars in another currency. If the price of Bitcoin goes down, then it automatically like liquidates that position, and the lenders are being made whole. Now, of course, we've all heard that the last year or so was pretty challenging in the crypto space. But what happened in the DeFi space that we can learn from the chaos of last year? Sometimes people confuse the two, like DeFi and, and crypto in general. So I think one of the most important things to note here is that what actually happened in crypto, the big crashes and the big uh, bankruptcies were actually not DeFi players, but those were C5 players, as we call them. So those, those were like centralized companies such as FTX, Celsius, BlockFi, and, and a couple of other ones. And these companies are not really different to, you know, regular companies as we have them. They have regular management, etc. Nothing is really decentralized and nothing works on the basis of smart contracts. Um, all they do is they basically just deal with cryptocurrencies. And what happened there is that I think ultimately... They promised high yields to depositors. Depositors were, you know, putting in their money. There was a lot of competition. Um, and hence, you know, in order to, to, to deliver those high yields, which were like 10% or even more, um, they had to do risky activities. The DeFi protocols, you know, at least like the large ones, the large lending protocols, actually worked really well. So throughout, you know, the, the, the market crash, um, you know, they worked as they were intended to work. Um, and, you know, no lender actually really lost um, their money. Now, important to, to say that obviously, you know, also in DeFi, you can lose money, um, but at least you, you have this, you know, transparency, you know what's um, going to happen. So I think learnings are that DeFi definitely outperformed CFI, I think, and, and this is a very bullish signal overall for, for DeFi. I personally don't think that everything is going to go towards DeFi because it's difficult, you know, you need to do self-custody, manage your keys. If anything goes wrong, there's no central authority that steps in. But I think that the centralized players, they can take some part of DeFi, like, like the transparency that everything is on chain, and that would already help the whole system to be better and safer. I think the key here is what we're separating is bad actors who did things that were far too risky and made mistakes compared to technology that actually did what it was supposed to do. 
and didn't fall over. Let's have a look at the outlook now then for the DeFi space. So how are things looking now from your point of view, from your perspective in the industry? Right now, right, the industry is definitely a lot slower than it used to be. The main applications of DeFi are just the same applications as in the financial world, right? Investments like lending, trading. And I, I think right now we have a very high interest rate environment, right? So DeFi was very attractive when interest rates were, you know, near, close to zero because it offered higher returns, very, very attractive returns. So those returns compensated for the potential risks because let's be honest, there, there are risks in, in, in DeFi, you know, there's a lot of hacks ongoing. And as I mentioned, if something happens in DeFi, you know, unlike with what happened in at Silicon Valley Bank, the the government is not going to step in and make uh, the depositors whole. However, you know, I think there there is definitely some um, interesting developments um, in DeFi as well, right? I think one of those developments, which is very obvious, is maybe the real world asset narrative. What's happening right now is that there's a lot of like tokenizing real world assets, such as real estate, right? You can fractionalize it, and then you can invest. A small amount instead of buying the whole house, for example. Actually, something that is quite hot right now is tokenizing bonds or tokenizing treasuries and, and, and to give access to people or players that are in certain um, areas that otherwise wouldn't have access to these type of products. And maybe another thing that is quite interesting right now is that there's more focus on compliance and regulations. Permission DeFi is, is becoming a little bit of a bigger topic as well. Okay, so let's take a little bit of a deeper dive into one of the aspects of this, and that's lending. You've explained a lot of things very clearly here, but let, let, let's take a deeper dive. How does lending work in the DeFi space compared to traditional finance? DeFi is, is, is trustless, permissionless, right? So, so what's happening here is that in the absence of a trusted intermediary, right, of a bank or of the government, basically, there needs to be a system that is completely trustless and does not require to trust anyone, basically, right? So this is achieved usually during, through over-collateralization. So as I mentioned for lending, if you want to take on a loan, you need to over-collateralize in a different assets. So you put 100 worth of Bitcoin in order to get a loan of 50 worth of US dollar uh, stable coin or something, right? And if the um, value of your collateral fluctuates, um, these protocols automatically basically liquidate um, your collateral and lenders are being made whole. So you do not need to trust who is on the other side. You just need to trust the code. In the real world, you, you go to a, a bank and there is someone that basically tells you, you know, what level of collateral there should be. Um, there is also something like credit risk assessment. That is something that right now is, is a little bit missing. I think, you know, in order to offer certain things such as, you know, for everyday person, like, like, a, like a mortgage or like a student loan or like a company loan, if you want to start a business, some level of trust is actually needed. Um, and this cannot be achieved via, you know, just completely trustless, permissionless contracts, or at least right now, it's not yet achieved there. So, so I think that those are the key differences in terms of like advantages. Obviously, um, you know, the DeFi is very um, efficient, right? Because you don't need to anyone to, to make any analysis. Everything works by smart contracts. You can obtain a loan in a second, basically. It is also more transparent, as I mentioned previously, because you actually see every single loan, every single repayment on chain. Just one last quick question, because we mentioned you mentioned about how governments aren't necessarily involved. So it's all done on this trustless system. Is is there any regulation? So right now there is no clear regulatory framework um, when it comes to DeFi. However, you know different jurisdictions are moving in order to so provide some regulatory uh, guidance. 
actually Hong Kong has become a little bit of a leader in terms of crypto regulation, right? DeFi not yet, but but they they actually have announced that they're implementing a uh, virtual asset digital exchange license um, later this year. Um, so there's a lot of interest actually of companies um, that are now moving to Hong Kong again, moving back from. Sometimes they, they left Hong Kong previously, um, but Hong Kong is definitely being a leader and you can see that the industry is definitely welcoming this sort of like regulatory clarity. Also for DeFi, you know, we think that a regulation is not a bad thing. And if implemented right, it's actually a good thing because right now, you know, I'm talking to a lot of institutions, right, from the from the traditional world, you know, like a lot of the, the largest um, like institutions in the space. And, um, you know, many of them are already looking at crypto. Some of them are already operating and, and trading digital assets, but a lot of them cannot yet be involved uh, in DeFi because the compliance standards and, and, and the regulation is not clear enough, right? So, so we think actually in order to bring in more players and in order to make this a much bigger industry, regulation and compliance is needed. And in fact, one key trend right now is the trend of permissioned DeFi, meaning that it's not... Not everyone with a wallet can just access, but you'd actually need to undergo KYC and AML checks as well in order to participate in those platforms. We as Clearpool so far, we had a completely permissionless product. And now from next month onwards, actually we are launching Clearpool Prime, we call it, which is a fully permissioned platform as well. And, and the goal is really to work with those more traditional institutions and fintechs and, 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 and other players that are operating you know, in, in the real world versus just having uh, crypto native guys. And, and again, we see that this is definitely like a trend where the industry is moving towards. When it comes to regulation, maybe just to, to finalize here is we welcome regulation. We think that DeFi has also some attributes like you know, more transparency and more efficiency that, that are actually ultimately, if done correctly, you know, protecting investors. So it's going to be a challenge for us to really, you know, have a dialogue with the regulators and, and make sure that the, the regulatory framework is, is being crafted in order to also look at the strength of, of DeFi. And, and maybe it, it wouldn't be ideal if just some traditional regulation is being put on top of DeFi, which might not be a good fit. Thank you so much for your explanation. I'm sure we could talk for hours on this. You've got so much to say. That's Jacob Kronblickler, the co-founder and CCO of Clearpool. Thank you very much for having me.